The Hoop Collective is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Before we get started today, I wanted to remind you to download and subscribe to The Low Post with Zach Lowe and The Woge Pod with the great Adrian Wojnarski, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Friday morning because McMahon had to work the Jazz. Um, who'd the Jazz play? Jazz Clippers last night. McMahon, um, I just couldn't stay up to record the pod. How late were you working on that one? Uh, I filed about 2 o'clock my time. The, oh, 3 the, o'clock Eastern. The, the, the Zooms run pretty late, but yeah. The, hey, this is about you had to go to bed. You had to get your sleep. Yeah. So why are That's you like... Right. I couldn't... You want to know why I couldn't, couldn't go to bed at, at uh, 3? Because my kid got me up at 5. That's why. Oh, um, yep. okay. Father, right. your points. Here we go. Um, So... Donovan Mitchell. Speaking of father of the year, he's the Clippers' daddy right now. Oh. That's Ben McMahon in Dallas. And joining us from Boston is Tim Pontemps. Howdy. Donovan Mitchell. uh, What was the stat, McMahon, uh, over the – at the end of the first half, what was he like – he had scored 50 points in 30 minutes or something? So – in in a four quarter span, second half of game one, first half of game two, this dude had fifty nine points on thirty two shots in forty minutes. <laughs> That's uh, pretty good. And you know Kawhi didn't guard him much, but he didn't he didn't guard him well when he did. Paul George, uh, can we stop referring to Paul George as one of the best wing defenders in the NBA? Because he's gotten torched now for nine straight playoff games. Okay, Um, you know, Pat Beverly had at least was was a pest. The zone really disrupted his rhythm. But Donovan Mitchell has absolutely dominated this series so far. And and really, you know, this postseason so far since uh, the Jazz medical staff has decided that he's good enough to get out on the floor. The Jazz have won six playoff games in a row, and I realize the winning six in a row in the first and second round is not as valuable as winning them in the third and fourth round. Um, but what has really impressed me um, in in watching them the last two rounds is the way they've taken games in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. that could go either way. I've said this on the pod before, and just put them on ice. And a lot of it is Mitchell. Some of it is Gobert playing great de- defense. Um, in Thursday night's game, it was, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich playing tremendous defense on, um, on Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi, who just slaughtered the Mavericks yeah. in the fourth quarter of that series. Kawhi was ineffective down the stretch and in, in, in the, you know, in a, in a go either way game, um, in game two and, you know, just handling their business late in games. I mean, well, it was Joe what, Ingles making plays offensively. You know, a, a feed to Rudy for an and one, a feed to Royce O'Neal for a, a wide open three, an uncontested, you know, walk into it, test the win. What the hell are you doing, Clippers? This guy shot 49% from three for the year, you know, uh, three that was the dagger. And, that, you know, that's kind of the thing about the, this Jazz team is, yeah, Donovan's a star, Rudy's a defense player of the year. 
even with Mike Conley out, they've got a lot of different guys who can hurt you. Um, and you know, the, the, they've, they've got such like everybody there fits so well and is so comfortable because most of them have been there for a while and they just, ha- I mean, they're playing with ridiculous confidence. Yeah. Um, they, they shoot, they pass, they defend, they've got depth. I mean, Jordan Clarkson, I know he's a little bit hot and cold, but they don't need him to be hot all the time. You know, that's why he's a bench player. Um, you know, it's interesting when you look at the Clippers, like um, Reggie Jackson. And I mean, I have to take my hat off to Reggie Jackson because he's played better than I thought he would in this postseason. But, you know, Reggie Jackson, some games is, is ice cold and some games is red hot. But the, the difference is like the Clippers really, really need him. Yeah. They need him to be good. And if he's not good, it, it really hurts them. The Jazz are at a point with their roster where they don't need Jordan Clarkson to be great. They don't need um, even Mike Conley right now. Mike Conley is out, and they've they're up two zero. And I and granted they were home games, uh, but I mean that is just an indication of the of the type of team that they are. And I mean, Bontemps, this is a this is a team that has all the hallmarks of what championship teams are, including great coaching. No question. I mean, look, all season long, the Jazz have been the team with the best record in the league. They've had the team with the best advanced stats in the league. And they're the only team in the league this year that was top five in offense and defense, which is the hallmark of championship caliber teams. And, you know, like you guys laid out, you you look at the way this series is playing out and they just look like the the deeper, better team than the Clippers. And, and look, we talked about this when the Clippers were playing the Mavericks, right? Luka Doncic is better than anybody on Jazz, but the Jazz are a far better team than the Mavericks. And it took the Clippers every ounce of what they had to get by Dallas. So it isn't really surprising to me that we're sitting here two games into the series. And even without Mike Conley, the fact that the Jazz are in pretty firm control of this thing. And if he's able to come back at some point later on in this thing, to me, it's hard to see how the Clippers, despite having – Kawhi Leonard on their side are going to find a way to get past this team because the evidence we have from seven months now is that they're just not as good as, as Utah, you know, either over the course of 72 games or the, or over the course of seven. Yeah. The, the only hesitation there is they did just fight back from a two Oh lead, but or from a two Oh deficit, but you pointed out this is a, <laughs> this is a much bigger mountain that they have to climb, so to speak. Um, and the difference between, Rudy Gobert as a as a defensive anchor and, and Chris Tapp's Porzingis, <laughs> uh, yeah, just the, a small the, one. The, uh, Andrew Greif, the LA Times beat writer, tweeted their their shot percentage, their their field goal percentages uh, in this series, and you know the three point percentages from all the different uh, from all the different areas, you know, pretty pretty similar, almost you know, almost exactly uh, the same. And I'm I'm looking for this tweet now. It's Let's see. Me scrolling on podcasts. Is, well, why, here, well, why you're, oh, here why we go. You're in the paint versus Utah, Clippers have shot 36% against the Mavericks, wow. 60%. Yep. 36 to 60. And, you know, the other thing, I'm talking about how the Jazz know exactly who they are. They know exactly how they fit into the rotation. Um, you know, even with Conley out, well, they've, you know, they have experience with that. Joe Ingles knows, okay. I'm starting, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to be more of a, 
you know, there'll be a little bit more playmaker response, but the, the, everybody knows exactly how they fit, what they're supposed to be doing. The Clippers are just scuffling and searching. And Ty Lue found a little something with that zone that really disrupted their rhythm. You know, I'm sure the Jazz will see more of that. The Jazz is feeling as, hey, the more we see it, the, the better we'll be. You know, kind of like the the Clippers in uh, in the first round against the Mavericks. It's pretty risky to to guard an elite three point shooting team with a steady diet of zone. But I mean, you know, Demarcus Cousins doesn't play in the first round. You know, he's he's got a role in the series. Uh, Patrick Beverly was benched in the first round. He's playing significant minutes. Um, you know, they start small the first game. They go back to starting big. Well, poor Zubas got a got a bullseye. Tyloo is on him. absolutely. Uh, he he is throwing everything he's got out there. So they did in the middle of this game go zone, um, which I, I don't know enough about the data to tell you how often the Clippers played zone this year. I yeah. could probably find out. But I was looking at this. Um, ben Dowsett, who uh, or maybe Ben Dowsett, I don't know how you pronounce his name, who is a is a jazz blogger, writes about the jazz. He ran the numbers and said that so far in and this stat this stat is unbelievable so far in this series two games Ty Lu has used 38 different five man lineups <laughs> 38 and they have not been garbage time and okay, maybe you have some variants where you throw a guy or two in at the end of a quarter and you have a weird lineup for a possession, but that does not explain 38. No, there's no continuity. Is there, that he, a game plan? It's, 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 it reeks of desperation. Um, you know, Rondo's DMP last night, Terrence Mann, who was really good in the Maverick series, plays 67 seconds last night. And again, you know, I told you guys before when they, when it was announced, Clippers are going back to their big lineup. I told you, like, that is playing right into the Jazz's hands. You're playing to Rudy Gobert's strengths on both ends of the floor, and you're making life so easy on Donovan Mitchell. What do they do? The first four possessions of the game, they put Zubas in a pick and roll. Joe Ingles scores on one, and then Donovan, you know, it's just he's going to walk into pull-up jump shots with this dude and drop coverage. Like, those are practice shots for him. Then they did to start the second half, too. And and look, on top of that, guys, you know, I didn't say this before, but Reggie Jackson scored 29 points in a game. Mike Conley didn't play and the Clippers lost that. That is not that does not bode well for their chances of having any real shot in this series. That's the kind of game, especially on the road as the, the underdog team in the series from a home court advantage standpoint. You got to win that game. And and for for that one to go the way it did, um, you know, it, it doesn't look great. and. You know, this is the kind of series where Serge Ibaka was supposed to be a huge piece. Yep. His back is obviously not going to allow him to be part of this thing, and that's really hurt the Clippers. And, yeah, like, you just watch them play, and they're just, you know, like like you said, Brian, Ty is just searching for something and clearly doesn't have it. So and- is that is that a pers- – is that a – okay, is that an injury issue? Is that a – the – the front office didn't give him a reliable point guard issue. Is that Ty Lue? They gave him Rajon Rondo when he was DMPCD last night. Well, okay. So I'm saying like um, if, if you're in – because look, this Clipper team is not supposed to be less than. They are supposed to be the team 
that has the best coaching, that has the great depth, uh, that has the, um, you know, the star power. So how come it's Utah who's outclassing them in it? Well, because I think I think it's I think if you watch these two teams play, you know, the Clippers for basically two years have never had a consistent team. Right. Last year, they had guys in and out of the lineup with injuries all the way through. Never had any rhythm, got in the playoffs, had real flaws, got them exposed, lost. This year, it's been the same thing. They've had real flaws all season. They've also had guys in and out of the lineup with injuries all season. They've, you know, Ty Lue all year has been mixing and matching guys, trying to figure things out. And, you know, if you just look at, if you just look at who they're playing in this series, like, you know, like go through these guys. They're, they're relying on Reggie Jackson to play 36 minutes for them in a playoff game. They've on a got, minimum you know, contract, got on a minimum contract. Year, nobody They've wants. Got, I know that he has got, moments, but like, let's just be honest. Right, Nick Batum has has been one of has been probably their third or fourth most important player. Bought out on a minimum of, contract. You know, they're playing People like Tim said. Demarcus Cousins. Well, look, Nick Batum. Nick Batum is a good player, but still, like they're they're relying on him. They're relying on Reggie Jackson. Patrick Beverly has not been very effective when he's been healthy. He hasn't been healthy. Um, you know, Terrence Mann was a second round pick. Luke Kennard has had moments. He certainly had moments at the end of the Mavs series, but you know, he's been all over the place this year. They just, they haven't had any sort not of minimum contract, right? Not a minimum contract. The they just haven't had it. They, they have, there's not been any point this season where you've looked at the Clippers and said, this team has it all put together and looks great and is rolling along and everything's well, awesome. And they're going to be fine. I think game six in Dallas, they look pretty good. Well, no, they've. I mean, well, here, what, what was game, game six? We haven't. What was game six about? Let's be real. Kawhi. It was about Kawhi Leonard being just a superhuman, and so and and look, we can talk about all like the the rotations, the lineups. You know, who's playing, who's not. At a certain point, it comes down to whose stars are performing better, and you know, Gobert is not necessarily going to put up the huge point numbers, but. Gobert is absolutely dominating defensively. He grabbed 20 rebounds last night. You know, seals game one with a block. Um, they, you know, the the whole ghost, they scrap going small because they realize, man, he, he can guard those lineups now. He can still impact the game uh, against those lineups. And then Donovan is, you know, Donovan's averaging 41 points efficiently in this series. And, you know, Kawhi and Paul George have been somewhere between okay and pretty good. Those guys, if okay and pretty good for those guys, that's not going to well, the uh, thing that is, cutting it for the Clippers. So well, look, the, and, go ahead, go ahead, I was, Bob No, I was the only thing I was going to add to that was if you if you like Tim said right, you know, to his credit, he told us for game two the big lineup wasn't going to work, definitely didn't work, and these two games to me are sort of emblematic of where these teams are at, and that the Jazz know who they are right? Like hundred percent top to bottom. Everybody knows the role. Everybody knows what they're going to do. They go out there and they, and they do what they're supposed to do. The Clippers have no idea what they are as a team. And from game to game, it's something different every game. And I, I think that is the biggest, that to me is the biggest difference between these two teams is that yes, the Clippers have Kawhi Leonard. Yes, they have Paul George, but you just don't really know what they're going to be from night to night where the jazz, even if the jazz don't play well, you know what a Utah Jazz game is going to look like. And I think that ability to stick to who they are and know what they are and execute is, 
you know, why they're able to roll along and win these games without Mike Conley, why they've won six playoff games in a row, and why I think, you know, again, barring some kind of crazy turn in the series, I think they're pretty heavy favorites to advance the conference finals. I agree. That was well said. Paul George, now in the regular season, the Clippers shot 41% on threes, which I think was the highest three-point yeah. percentage for a season of all time, and certainly yeah. on volume, the most prolific three-point shooting season in NBA history. Okay, in the postseason, we don't expect you to play regular season numbers. It is harder. That's the point. Um, but the Clippers have fallen off dramatically, and Paul George, who you know, was on my all-NBA team, guys, Mm. Um, he shot 30% for three in the Dallas series. He's shooting 32% or 31% for three in this series. Um, At least his misses are hitting the rim though. True. And there's been no backboard, uh, you know, no side of the backboard action. Um, (laughs) yet, um, like bottom line, he's just, like, he hasn't been bad. But he has just got to play better. No, I will say, I said they've been between OK and pretty good. He was bad, and he was bad in game one. But game one, he was bad. He was, I think, 4 17 from the floor. That's bad. Game two, 27 10 and six, you know, hard to, hard to rip him. But I'm telling you, like, he, he had the worst plus minus defensively. Like, Paul George is just getting torched. You know, I mean, it, he could not guard Luka. He cannot guard Donovan. Like, we need to stop considering him, you know, this absolutely dominant defensive player. He's not that guy anymore. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is, all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. We just, he needs, the way that they play is so predicated on that three. He's, he's just, he's got to shoot the ball better. I mean, I know, again, you look at the, the, the aggregate numbers, it looks okay, but he just, he has open looks and he just doesn't hit them. Well, and, well, and as we've seen, as we've seen during these playoffs, uh, something that's really been crystallized to me is that if you're going to have an elite offense, you've got to have somebody that is going to consistently create shots for themselves and for their teammates. Mm-hmm. And the, the Clippers just don't do that, you know. And it's sort of the same thing we've seen with the Nets um, without James Harden. Like as good as Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are, 
like they're not necessarily going to go out there and get a bunch of shots for their teammates. Um, they both might score 45, but that's not really what they're going to do. And like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are great players. They're not really creating shots for other guys. They'll get a few assists, but they're going to go out there and, and shoot a bunch of jumpers and for themselves and might score 25 or 30. But there's a reason why the Clippers offense keeps falling apart in key moments. It's that they don't have anybody that's going to get them into stuff that's going to attack the defense and be a threat and break things down and get guys good shots. Reggie and, Jackson has five assists in 53 minutes. Right. Reggie Jackson is going to shoot. And he shot well last night, but he is not he's not a guy who's who A, the defense is worried about, or B is going to be breaking down defenses like a Trey Young or a Luka Doncic or a Don like Donovan Mitchell. Again, look on the other side. They've got Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles. Yeah, both those guys would be the best guy on the, on the Clippers by a mile. He averaged two assists a game in the last series. He's, you know, 53 minutes, he's got five assists. Well, and, he is not, and, a, he is not a he is not a, a a creative he is not a create for others player. Yeah, and Donovan after both games has talked about hey you know I, I my assist should be higher, um you know that that sort of a thing. Uh, he's he's averaging four and a half assists per game in the series, but for the for the Jazz it's not necessarily even about uh a, about an individual player's assists as much as it is just their system. Create, you know, they call they they call when the penetration the starting the blender. Donovan yep. starts the blender, and then you know it's become such a thing that people kind of joke and scoff about it. But the screen assists, the Rudy Donovan pick and roll. Rudy had seven yep. screen assists last night, and wow. and and you know we had four in the first four. Donovan Fa- or uh, Derek Favors rather had had twelve. Their system and their their chemistry creates for each other and then joe ingles down the stretch you know and, and it's just and you talk about uh the clippers three-point shooting the clippers led the league and i i think you're right i think they set a record for three-point percentage the jazz set a record for overall threes hit that's right. and and you know here the jazz are last night 20 of 39 from three uh you're not gonna lose a whole lot of games when you go 20 of 39 from three nope you know, well, and, and go down and go down the stretch of that game last night, right? What what was what was the final few minutes of that game? The the Jazz moving the ball and moving the ball and moving the ball and getting one wide open shot after another, and the Clippers coming down and taking the first shot they could get over and over and over again. Generally a bad one. Pat Beverly driving in and trying to fling something up over Rudy Gobert. Reggie Jackson coming down and trying to jack something up in the short corner over somebody. Like mm-hmm. it, it was just it was so apparent at both ends, like. The Jazz were sticking to what they do and running their offense, and it was working. And the Clippers were coming down, and like every every guy who had the ball was trying to get it all back at once. And yeah. just, like that five minutes sort of just exemplified how these two teams have operated. And it's not like running their offense for the Jazz; they're not necessarily a methodical team. You know, a lot of times running their offense is getting a stop, and it's not necessarily fast break, but it is transition. The defense isn't isn't set up, and hey. First guy who who gets a good look at three, let that thing fly. You know, get the ball up yep. there, move it, get let you know, let it fly. It's funny. Uh, Gobert went on Scott Van Pelt, and and <laughs> uh, Van Pelt asked him basically like, uh, you know, how many guys on your team are you comfortable with? Uh, you know, with just letting it fly from three point range, and, and Rudy said, uh, pretty much everybody but myself. <laughs> well, and, and and to your point about them getting up into transition and scoring quick, Tim. Uh, the biggest shot of the game after Reggie Jackson finally got the, the Clippers ahead, the Clip, uh, the Jazz get a bucket, 
They get a stop, and it's one pass to Boyan Bogdanovich on the wing, takes a three with like 20 on the shot clock that's open, makes it, puts the Jazz back in front. They never trail again. Yeah, that was just the, like the prototypical Jazz run. The easiest way for a guy like Bogdanovich or Joe Ingles or Royce O'Neal, you don't have to worry about this with Jordan Clarkson, uh, but the easiest <laughs> way for those guys to get cussed out by, by Quinn Snyder is to not take that shot. Quinn Snyder jumps on those guys if they pass up good looks at three. You know, Nikola Miritich, guys. <clears throat> Nikola Miritich. The Jazz were ready to re-sign him, and he was like, I want to go home. I don't think he's actually – Is he? Oh, he's from – It wasn't a re-sign. He was, uh, he was uh, coming from New Orleans. They were going oh, to sign him. They were going to sign instead, him. Yeah. Yes. Right. He, he, was, he was target A, and, and Bogdanovich was target B. Right. And he decided uh, to go to Barcelona and they signed Boyan instead. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I think Miritich has played pretty well for Barcelona. I think they were in the EuroLeague Final Four this year, I'm not, I'm not, not, if I'm not mistaken. But um, <clears throat> Bogdanovich has been great for them. Well, and, and, right, you know what? Look, Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich is also a guy who, you know, we saw in 2018 when the Pacers played the, the Cavs in the first round. He obviously didn't stop LeBron James, but he did oh. a credible job guarding LeBron, and he's done I've, a credible job guarding I've, Kawhi Leonard. I've this said series. this. I've said this before. It was a seven-game series. LeBron hit two game winners in the series. Um, Bogdanovich was the second best player in the series, um, and the Jazz were obviously among the teams watching very closely at that and, time. And now he's what the fourth, or fifth best player on the Jazz, and which is, speaks to where they're at. And <laughs> yeah, he's, they're, yeah, he's, he's a damn. He's a damn good player. And right, he was and he was far. missed in the bubble last year. Like yeah, he talking had about their three one collapse. He was desperate. And I will say yeah. before before we move on, I guess it is required just to point out that the Jazz did have a three one lead last year and the Clippers were down two well in the last round. So yes. the NBA is fragile, but we see what we see. All right. I think in game one of the Nets Bucks series, I believe in, in a, and if I don't have the number exactly right, I apologize because I don't have it in front of me. I believe the over under in that game, and it was going to vary by a point or two depending on where you go, was somewhere in the neighborhood of 243 or 242. Would have needed about um, 16 overtimes to get there. Um, <laughs> which I believe is the highest over-under on record for a playoff game. Obviously, there's been some games this last year where there's been higher over-unders, but for a playoff game was the highest over-under. By the way, it went under. Um, in this game... Uh, which I guess was ugly. It was funny. Um, you guess was ugly. It, it was. You don't need to guess. No need to guess on that you one. You know, in like two thousand five. It's like saying you guess Bontemps is ugly. Two thousand five <laughs> or seven or whatever. When I was early in my career, we this was just sort of like an average playoff game. This, I mean, there wasn't as many three pointers taken, but. Games went 86, 83 like all the time, regularly. Yeah, I mean this look this looked like a this looks like this looked like a, a Pacers uh a Pacers Pistons game from the mid two thousands. So let me ask you this, Bontemps. The the Nets shoot thirty two percent. Yeah. Harden clearly doesn't play. Yeah. Grant goes eleven of twenty eight. Kyrie goes nine of twenty two. They shoot eight of thirty two on on threes. Okay. Joe uh, Harris stinks it up. Joe Harris goes one of 11 in the game, one of seven on threes. Including missing a wide open shot 
with 50 seconds to go that would have put them up three. Uh, he had one completely wide open 15 footer. He had one possession where he had a wide open three. He bricked it. The ball bounced back to him. He took another wide open three. To miss. <laughs> it doesn't yes. happen. No. Okay. Um, I think they, I don't know if I said this. They shot 36% as a team. Yet, as the buzzer is sounding, Durant has a shot going right online that just hits the back of the iron that is if it's an inch and a half shorter, goes down. Yep. Yep. Um, do we think this is a good sign or a bad sign for the Bucks, considering uh, you know they had to go through all that and they won by three on their home? Well, let, well, listen, it's a good sign because the Bucks won, right? And they just had to win this game no matter what. And I, I'm not saying this series is going to be have the exact same result, but through three games, the series reminds me a lot of Bucks Raptors in 2019, where the Bucks win game one, uh, pretty close game, got some calls down the stretch. I remember Nick Nurse was very upset about a few of them after the game. They come out in game two. The Bucs are up 25 at halftime. They just demolish the Raptors in game two. Seems like the whole Kawhi experiment isn't going to work. They go home for game three. It's a really sloppy game. Kyle Lowry fouls out in the fourth quarter. The Raptors are down in the fourth quarter. I believe they're down in overtime, down 2-0 in the series at home. They come back and win game three. They go on to win the next three games, and they win the series. And I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not saying this is necessarily going to go the exact same way for a whole bunch of reasons. The, the Bucks certainly looked like a flawed team last night. I did not like, uh, you know, they did not run anything offensively down the stretch. Uh, it was just a lot of standing around and jacking shots up, which was not supposed to be what was going to happen again this year. The Nets are not going to shoot like that generally, though the Bucs probably are not going to shoot like that generally all, either. Um, but they got to win. They get back in the series. Uh, Drew Holiday did a terrific job on Kyrie Irving. Kind of did exactly what I thought he'd be able to do in the series. Um, you know, Kyrie had 22 points on 22 shots. Um, you know, so uh, the Bucs survive in advance. They get they get to game four. Well, they survive. I, they I, did I do, in advance. Well, they survive in advance in that I, if they lose game three, the season's over. Like, they're not coming back from 3-0. So they, they stay in the series. And like to me, that that's all that really matters. But like I said, this this just reminds me a lot of so far of that that 2019 conference finals where, you know, once once Toronto started to get into it, things started to flip in their direction. And maybe this is all the Bucks need to kind of get over the hump, sort of like that game one against Miami, where they they get they get off, you know, get off to a good start in that series and then things open up for them. Maybe they'll finally see some shots start to go down in game four and, and things will start to turn a bit. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. 
The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Well, shots go down for them in the paint in this series. But, McMahon, I don't – I kind of made a joke last night. Um, I don't know if it was to Bon Temps or if it was to on our group text, but I, I was like, I, I would fine Giannis every time he shoots a three. Um, yeah, the, the problem is the guy is shooting million. eight threes. <laughs> yeah. Um, something happened in the first quarter of this game that I thought was fascinating. It was very subtle, but it was fascinating. Um, they fouled Giannis, and he goes to the line. And the crowd, the, the Bucks got off to a great start in this game. They, uh, Brooklyn couldn't hit a shot for the first, like, seven or eight minutes, so they, they're way up. The, the crowd's way into it. They know it's vital. Um, Giannis comes into the game two of ten in the first two games in the series at the line. And so he comes up and, you know, Everybody knows that he's struggling from the free throw line. But the crowd is really into it, and they start chanting MVP, MVP, which is the traditional thing that you do for your star player, and and he gets to the foul line. Giannis asks him to quiet down. You know, he like, you know, everybody quiet. And, of course, the entire arena goes silent. Silent. And to me, like, it was such a fascinating moment. Number one, that Giannis... It's so much thinking about it that he doesn't want the crowd to cheer MVP for him. Second, the crowd listens so well because they know how important, how fragile, and how valuable this is. They shut up. And then there's this silence, which can't be good because then everybody is, like, hyper aware. And that just tells you where Giannis is with his shot right now. And at one point, um, the, uh, Mike, uh, Mark Jackson and Mike Breen and Jeff Ingundy pointed this out. There was a timeout. Giannis was coming to take a free throw out of the timeout. And he ran over real quick and took a practice free throw, asked for the ball from the official and took a practice free throw. I can't believe I don't think I've ever seen that. And this is just mm-hmm. <laughs> sending out vibes. I am not confident. I am uh, I am in my head up here. Um, and he's one of eight from three. Um, he's something like three of 30 in the series from three. Um you know, obviously there are times when he is better than this, and he is, you know, while he is a he is weak at the foul line and weak from the outside, he is not this bad. But for Bontemps to, you know, I, I respect what Bontemps is, is saying. He's seen a lot of series. He knows the Bucks very well. You know, Giannis has got to be able to do something else besides dunk, which he can dunk a lot, but he's got to be. No, why? Why Why? Why does he have to do something else other than dunk? Well, he doesn't, why I, don't, can't... I don't want him shooting threes, but he, but he's. He's got to not be afraid to get fouled, and that's really the issue. He's got to, yeah. He has to not be afraid to get fouled. The problem those MVP chants, each MVP is like one second long. So when you get to like the 18th MVP, the refs go, "Okay, 10 second violation." He got a call, but last night. I honestly like Giannis. At some point, there needs to be some skill expansion. He needs to be able to, you know, whether it's a not so much even a, a three, the the floater. On honestly, the shots that's like the, I don't need Giannis. He needs to, to be able whole, to make us. He needs to be able to make a seven foot push shot. 
That's yes. what he needs to do. Yeah, if, right, he, if he could just, if he could just do that, he would literally be unguardable. And I, I, all, all the only way you can stop now is what Blake Griffin is doing, which is standing three and a half feet from the rim, hoping he runs India, and you yeah. get a charge. And even if he runs he's India, too fast to see in front. and if he runs India and they call right. a block, um, right, they just go into the foul. Going to the foul line. The efficiency number goes down. Like I still want him attack. I don't care if he shoots fifty percent from the line. I, I, look, I want I, him attacking, and and I don't. I feel like it's a bailout for the defense every time he shoots the, the Dirk one-legger because Giannis does not have, you know, that's not going to be a consistent shot for him. I also think why Giannis does not need to be their primary offensive initiator. Nope. Why is well, He needs to be screening and rolling hard to the rim. Let me tell you something. More that was, than, than he, like, that was what don't they did at the, the beginning. Ball. Yeah. That was what they did at the beginning of the game. It's what they did at the end of the game, and that's when they had success. Have him be the best role man in the damn league. Set the screen, roll to the rim. It gets him on the move and attacking and getting to the rim and scoring. It was notable they did it at the start. And it's notable what they, they did at the end. I don't really understand what they were doing the rest of the time. Especially with Drew Holiday. And look, Drew made a great play to uh, oh, to get the bucket brilliant. down the stretch. But he was an, he was uh you know, he's not in the flow of the offense for most games. He ends up going four or fourteen from the floor. Put the ball in his hands. Let you know, run some pick and roll with Giannis screening, like McMahon, play Giannis's strengths. Man, they weren't running anything in the fourth quarter of this game. Anything, nothing. Uh, they did it was the they, same thing we've seen in the past just stand around, throw the ball to Chris Middleton, and hope he makes a shot. Just hope and pray it goes in, which is not supposed to be what was going to happen. There was one timeout that Bud ran a nice play out of it for Middleton, um, but possession after possession after possession nothing nothing no not even like oh we're gonna go set a half ass uh pick and roll like literally four guys standing yeah and and Giannis dribbling like what why why are you trying to like he's not durant don't like Giannis, Giannis dribbling Giannis, Giannis dribbling is fine Everybody just standing there stationary with Giannis dribbling and going nowhere is not fine. Like they, they have sort of a Clippers problem where like they don't, they just, there's a lot of just standing around and throwing up a shot from somewhere instead of running a system and running an offense and doing something when the game is on the line. And, you know, again, when they came out at the beginning of the game, it was really noteworthy. They're running these screening rolls. Giannis is attacking the rim. They're playing with pace. They're being aggressive and down the stretch, it just was the opposite of that. And, you know, like I said before, I, I'm not saying that the Bucks are going to come back and win the series. It just reminds me yeah. that Bucks Raptors series, but they, it, 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 that game last night felt like a game seven. The thing is, it felt like everybody, it felt like everybody in the building knew on both, on both teams, every fan that, that like everybody knew if the Bucks lost that game, the game was over and it was played that way. And I'll be curious to see if in game four, it feels a little different. Now that there's a little bit of pressure release because that it just, Everything seized up for Milwaukee. The They're lucky is, they got out of it with a win. The thing is, Mike Budenholzer is a disciple of that Spurs team that played the most beautiful basketball we'd ever seen in winning the the title in 2014, uh, which they took from Argentina. Which I've said that the Argentinian team that you know won the the gold medal in 2004 and um, the, you know the Ginobili era, they could run their offense in the dark. It was one of them. It's you know nowadays we see great offense, but when I remember watching the Argentines um, in the in the two thousands, 
it, it was like it was basketball I'd never seen played like that before. It was just very impressive. The Spurs adopted that. Bud took that to Atlanta. It wasn't the same, but the way that the the Hawks played when they had four All Stars, they played great. Share, you know, similar to the way that the Jazz play now, which Quinn Snyder was part of that, came out of that. Yeah. Where have thou gone, Mike Budenholzer, teaching that offense? It's not there. It's <laughs> like they they squeezed out of it and. And Bontemps could be right. I mean, obviously the Bucks can play better than this. They they were um, actually the highest. The Bucks score. are the Bucks are still missing. The Bucks are still missing a ton of open shots. Like both teams last night missed a lot of makeable shots. Yeah, but there's no the Bucks are I'm six and thirty one. the offense. As well, well, no, they don't. This, look, this has been their this has been their problem for years in the playoffs. Right? They get in the playoffs and they don't run anything. They just they, they average like 120 the points and hope it works. the regular season. We know that they can score. Yep. No so, question. Um, uh, at, so other thing I'm going to say is the Nets are doing a very nice job of keeping James Harden's true condition under wraps. Um, not only has there been nothing reported that I'm aware of, I've tried to ask questions behind the scenes to try to – get a feel and I have not been able to detect anything. Um, when they did the MRI, they didn't announce a hamstring strain or, or, or pull. They just said hamstring tightness. They didn't say, so they probably have an idea and maybe it's the rest of this series. Maybe it's the rest of the playoffs. Maybe it's game four. They've done a very nice job of keeping it under wraps. And that's the one thing I would say to Milwaukee is, you know, you the sun is shining, so to speak, right now. You better make hay because I don't know when the guy's coming back. I really, really don't. And when he comes back, well, other, that's going to be not good for them. Well, the other thing, the other thing to monitor as the series goes along is Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are playing an insane amount of minutes, and yep. you know they're playing. I know, I know the Bucks guys all played forty five minutes last night, but Katie and Kyrie are playing forty five minutes a game, and they're 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 doing everything on offense in particular for these guys, every single possession. And look, both these, what we've talked about this all year, both those guys have dealt with a bunch of injury issues throughout the year. And, you know, I'm certainly not wishing anybody to get hurt, but you have to, you have to be concerned with these games basically coming every other day um, on the workload that's going to be on these guys. And they just, while we doing the, we've been doing the pod, they announced that the conference final schedules are going to be every other day, no matter when they start from start to finish. And that's what you know, it's an advance. Always, always are pretty much. Well, usually there's some, usually there's some gap in the middle if it starts early. Oh, right. There's no gap in the middle. Right. There's no gap in the middle either way. It's just every other day all the way through. And again, the longer James Harden's out, even if that's due advance, it's a lot of, it's a lot of miles being put on those two guys going forward, which is something we've got to monitor to see how they hold up with that. Well, I'm also concerned about Katie's health if he keeps on cussing out uh, P.J. Tucker right now, today, <laughs> because that might be the Bucks' best chance to win this series if, is if those two guys actually get in a scrap. So there are certain guys in this league where you see them talking and you're like, that's a fake tough guy. Not that I'm a, not that I'm a real tough guy, just to be clear. I'm not stepping to anybody. But there's guys where you're like, yeah, I mean, you know, he's not doing anything. There's some guys I could call out to this, but I'm not going to do that. Let me tell you who is not a fake t- tough guy. I don't <laughs> think – not that anything's going to happen. Let's be real. I'm just saying, though, that 
PJ Tucker is, you know, and, and, and PJ, uh, he fought Durant all night long. You know, look, Durant's going to beat him sometimes. He's way taller than him and he's one of the greatest of all time. But the last two possessions, we haven't even talked about what happened with Bruce Brown. I know that was what came out of this game. What people were freaking out about was, uh, when the, when the, um, the Bucks, uh, you know, did a great job of denying the inbound and, the ball's just squirting on the ground, and, and Bruce Brown ends up going down trying to throw in a float over Brooke Lopez. Um, uh, but part of the reason why that happened was because P.J. Tucker denied the ball to Durant so well. And then the, mm-hmm. the final possession, Durant almost made it because he's brilliant, but P.J. Tucker did a great job on that one. Um, I mean, even the shots that KD was making, like, I mean. They're impossible shots. Yeah, which he does. That's He's been doing it for his whole career, but. Yeah, he's incredible, and they and they've got two. They've probably got the two best guys to guard those two guys in the league, and Drew Holiday on Kyrie and PJ Tucker on on KD. You're not going to necessarily stop either of those guys, especially Durant. I mean, he he could score 50 points if you play great defense on him every possession. But like, if you were just picking guys to guard them, I, I might pick those two guys across the league mm, to individually I, guard each of those guys. I love uh, PJ would be not that he'd be far down the list, but. I'd rather have a Kawhi. You know, you, you, the one thing PJ does not have, especially compared to Duran, is length. That's why he can be right up on him and like still not really bother his shot. Uh, That's fair. You know, that, so there's, he's an awfully good option to have though. Yeah. Well, and, and he, he needs to, he needs to be a huge impact defensively because, uh, he's going to stand in the corner offensively and there will be, some nights like last night where PJ Tucker was 0 for 4 from the floor for zero points in 33 minutes. Yeah, but nobody, but nobody, nobody rebound knows. and a plus 10 in the game. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. And if, as far as that Bruce Brown play, obviously in retrospect, when you've got eight seconds, you do not take that ball to the hole. Uh, you find Durant or, or Kyrie. You know, he panicked. He was also terrific in that game. <laughs> you know, yeah. got him back in the game. Helped really there get were, him back. There were the five game. guys. There were five guys in double figures in game three. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Chris Middleton, Yadis Senecupo, and Bruce Brown. Yeah. It's the only reason the game was close. So uh and that's also a play like that, also like it's I know that it's frustrating for Bucks fans at times and just P, NBA fans in general when they see Brooke Lopez be involved in a pick and roll and Durant comes off of it, and he drops, and Durant shoots in his face, or Kyrie shoots in his face because he's just not quick enough and athletic enough to come out and double-team or 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 switch. Um, and, and Bud at times appears rock-headed for you know, staying with that big lineup, but that's the reason he does that is because Brooke can defend the rim like that. Um, and even on a scramble play like that, having Brooke in the game made a huge difference, even in that even in that – you know, end of game situation where you're switching everything and, you know, he could be targeted, you know, Bud kept him in there. So the other thing is the, like I said, the Bucks averaged 120 points a game this season. The, the, in the first, in game one, the Nets scored 115 in game two, they scored 120. Those should be numbers that the Bucks can, can deal with if they're playing well. Um, so their defense, even, um, you know, at times where they get, they get exposed a little bit in the pick and roll has been, enough to win every game in this series so far. Obviously, this game, they hold them to 83. All right, before we go, um, uh, got a very fascinating game tonight in Atlanta. Uh, the 
we'll see what happens in the um, in the in the Phoenix Denver series. I'm not going to really talk too much about that because if Michael Porter Jr. can't bend over and can't shoot, that that one's going to go short. They, you know, uh, as good as as good as in, um, as um, as Denver is, if they don't have that other weapon besides Jokic, I, I don't see how they can uh, how they can compete in that series. I mean, maybe Will Barton has a huge night coming back, but um, that, not sure it matters either way with all the with Jamal Murray out. Well, right, but I'm just saying with Jamal Murray out, if Michael Porter Jr. literally can't shoot like he couldn't, yep. you know, it, it's it gets elementary pretty quick and. We'll have time to talk about the Suns. But before we go, I want to talk about – so this is a vital game. Now, um, what's happened in this series, uh, the Hawks were absolutely breathtakingly impressive in the first half of game one, uh, Trey Young especially. Um, and the next three halves have been all Philly. Now, in game one, it was enough. And Trey was enough, but they altered their defense on Trey Embiid, who I wasn't even sure he could get through the series. He looks, he looks flat out spry. I, I wonder if there's going to be long term ramifications of him playing on a torn meniscus, but he looks a hundred percent to me. His activity level moving around the court, much less than he scored forty in Game Two. So my question, Bontemps, is this game to me is a telltale sign of where the series is going to go. Does Philly, who pretty much has been the most dominating team in the Eastern Conference for the last six weeks, is Philly? Did Philly figure it out, and will they, um, you know, grab home court back and just keep playing well, or you know, is Atlanta for real? And I think we're going to get a real indication of that in this game tonight. I mean, I think Atlanta's for real. I just also think that. Philly is a better team and you know, Atlanta shot 50% from the, I think they shot 19 for 37 from three in game one. Like you're generally going to win if you shoot 19 for 37 for three and the other team shoots seven for 27. Right. Which is, I, I'm pretty sure we're, it's either, those are exactly the numbers from game one or they're very close to them. So uh, Philly's a better team. Joel Embiid's the best player on the court. If, if he is able to keep playing at this level, which I agree with you, he looks fantastic so far. Hopefully he stays that way. Um, they're, they're going to win the series in five or six games. Uh, but I do think this Hawks team is legit. I think they've, they've really proven themselves from Trey young on down in these playoffs. And, you know, look, they're doing, they're, they're hanging in this series without Deandre Hunter, who's a really good player. It's the only real option they have to guard Tobias Harris on the wing and is now out with his own lateral meniscus tear in his knee. Same thing. Joel, yeah, he, has playing through. He, has, he tried to play through it and now has to have surgery. Yep. He's had he's been really good when he's played this year, but he's had injury issues all year long. So hopefully he can get through this knee trouble and be back to 100 percent next year. Because he's been become a really important piece for them. But yeah, I think they're really good. I just think Philly's better. And you saw really since halftime of Game One, Philly's size and length and athleticism defensively has really made an impact on Atlanta. And Joel has dominated inside, and it's kind of gone according to script. So I'll be pretty surprised if Philly doesn't take control and win Game Three. But I also think even if they win the next three games, I don't think that's a a real you know, I, I don't think it's any kind of indication that the the Hawks were kind of a, a fluke second round team. I, I think if anything, it's more like uh, a round later what we saw in the Memphis Utah series, where we saw a really young Memphis team come in the playoffs, play really well, and just get beat by a better team. And, and I think if that happens, I think if they lose these next three games, I think it's going to be more of the same here, and that Philly's just older and experienced and better. McMahon. Hate to say, it, but I agree. Uh, I am. It is surprising just how dominant Embiid has been. Not just because of the injury, but 
Like Capella is one of the best defensive bigs in the league. And McMahon, there went were back times and... where Capella was in great defensive position, working his butt off, like fought Embiid out of where Embiid wanted to go. There were times where he yeah. played perfect scheme defense and like guided Embiid towards help, and Embiid just beat him. The big foul is just throwing him around like a ragdoll. He's just yeah. he's been impressive. And it's not like him, like Embiid's numbers against the Hawks during the regular season. Not that this always translates, but it's they were, you know, pedestrian by his standards. But he's just been absolutely dominant. And then, you know, Ben Simmons obviously wants the challenge of of defending Trey Young as much as possible. I'm sure he feels snubbed that he was such a distant second in the Defense Player of the Year voting. Not that it was a surprise to anybody but him. Um, maybe in Doc Rivers. Uh, but you know, so that's a fascinating little subplot, but no, Atlanta is definitely like, uh, no matter what happens, like the, the arrow is pointing up for the Hawks. We do need to, we need to touch on the suns real quick. And okay. and Wendy, you can take your little victory lap on the sun's depth. Okay. Campaign is, you know, <laughs> I, I'll, 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 I'll give you that one. Um, and, and obviously, and well, I, yeah, campaign was the one that I was doubting. Right. He's been, he's had a really good playoff. Sarich has been good uh, in this series. Obviously, Chris Paul. I mean, this is just a masterpiece. Last five theater. games, the assist to turnover ratio. They've on a five game win streak, fifty three to four. You know, it's crazy. The last three playoff fifteen assists, zero turnover games have all been Chris Paul, and they've been in three different uniforms. And, you know, one of those uniforms was not the Rockets, <laughs> not Rockets, not Thunder, but he's, he's just absolutely ridiculous. But I tell you what, man, DeAndre Ayton, look, he's never going to be considered the best player in his draft class, but this dude is a stud and like he is, he is every bit worthy of being a number one pick. Like you do not have to apologize that this guy was the number one pick. I don't care who was taken after him the job he has done defensively in this series on Jokic man it is impressive he's going to get the you know, max don't you think guys this off oh absolutely if if he he's going to get the max if the suns don't want to give it to him then that's going to get sticky he I could, absolutely I could maybe, is worth it. I could maybe I could maybe see him coming in a little bit short of it, but my guess is he gets it. And but I what I would say is in these playoffs, the two guys who have raised their stature around the league the most are the the other two guys from that. Well, I mean, it's a very good draft class, but Trey Young and DeAndre Ayton have both yep. come into these playoffs in the postseason for the first time and been awesome and have dramatically raised their uh their stature around the league in terms of the quality of player that people think they are. Cause both those guys had questions about what they could do in these kinds of situations. And Trey young has passed every test of flying colors and Deontre Ayton went up against Anthony Davis in the first round. And when Anthony Davis was healthy, that was basically a draw mm-hmm. and he's gone up against Nicole Jokic in the second round. And yes, Denver has a lot of injuries, but Jokic is on record saying Ayton's about as tough a matchup as he has against him. And uh, he's gone out there and done a fantastic job and he's playing to his role and he's, you know, he's, he's barreling to the rim and he's playing great defense and he's getting rebounds and setting hard screens and yeah. he's just doing everything sort of like, I mean, he's not Rudy Gobert, but it's a similar thing where it doesn't necessarily always show up on the stat sheet as 35 and 25 in a game, 
but he is vital to what they're doing at both ends of the court. And it's it's really, really impressive to see. Real quick before we go, I want to say this 2018 draft class this offseason is going to be extension time for them. Number one pick was DeAndre Ayton. I think he's getting the max, okay? He should. Uh, there may be like, you know, they may win some other concessions in there. Uh, number two, Marvin Bagley. Uh-oh. Number three, Luka Doncic. Mm-hmm. Getting the max. He's going to get the largest uh, rookie scale extension of all time. He's getting the super max. Over $200 million. Number four, Jaron Jackson. This year was wrecked with an Oof. injury, but really good player. Um, uh, really complicated in terms of extension discussions. Right, but, but good player, right? Good player. Number five, Trey Young. Uh-oh, too bad he went that late. Getting the max a few um, like a few like a month or two ago on this pod. I talked about how some people in the league weren't sure that he was a max player. Rich Paul called me the next day and said, What the hell are you talking about? You're out of your damn mind. Well, Rich Rich wins. Rich, <laughs> yeah, you, I, I was with I was I was with Rich Paul on that one to be Rich which wins this well, Yeah, exactly. Hey, we, we were right on Trey Young, you were right on campaign. <laughs> hey, we, Rich, we, we all get some Rich doesn't a thousand against me for the record. I, I it wasn't me saying it was other I was never, never mind. We gotta keep going. Doesn't uh, matter. Doesn't matter. Colin Sexton, uh it's gonna be interesting to, discussions. You skip right over Mo Bamba. Come on well, now. Okay, Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter, Wendell Carter's and Mo Bamba's let me just let me just let me just read this for expediency. Let me just read through this. We got Colin Sexton, Mikhail Bridges, Chiggins Alexander, Michael Porter Jr., hold on, Miles Bridges, no, 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 no. Dante DiVincenzo. Let me have, I'm just saying, there's it's a, let me have the wheel back. Colin Sexton's going to get a big contract from somebody. That's a long. Yeah, I was list, I was listening off all these. I was I was going through. There's like 15 guys in this class that didn't get big okay, contracts. I was just say? listing them off. Ayton for expediency. Doncic, Trey Young. Shea Gildas Alexander and Michael Porter Jr. are getting maxes. Right, that's five max players. Yep, out of, in the lottery, and Mikhail Bridges, pretty good, is an excellent player. Colin Sexton is a very good player. Jaron Jackson, in my mind, is a very good player. We'll see what happens. Um, that's in the lottery, and then you go farther back. You have some other really nice players: Dante Divincenzo, Kevin Herter. Um, uh, you know, even in the second round, you have uh, Devontae Graham, you have uh, Gary Trent Jr., uh, tremendous draft. Mitchell Robinson, Jalen Brunson, Devontae Green, right. Devontae Graham. There's a lot of good players. Bruce Brown, a lot of good players. Right. In this, in That's this draft. discussion for another day. We got to wrap it up. Thank you to uh, to to Bon Temps and McMahon. Thank you to uh, Jackson, our producer, uh, who's going to put this up late. Sorry we had to make you guys wait for it, but uh, it so happens. Everybody have a good weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Adios, amigos. <laughs>